Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to doctor, nutritionist, and best-selling author, Dr. Hazel Wallace, aka The Food Medic. The word hysteria derives from the word uterus, which is the womb. And basically, old age thinking was that women had these mental health problems which derived from our womb. And any kind of condition that a woman experienced, whether she fainted or she had a seizure or she was either had increased or decreased sexual desire, like all of these very random symptoms that don't fit together, they would say that's hysteria. And it was in the actual manual of kind of, that we used to diagnose mental health disorders and was only removed in the 1980s. Originally from Dundalk, Hazel lives in London and has over half a million followers on Instagram. Her third book, The Female Factor, is a deep dive into women's health. And in this conversation, she answers questions like why we crave chocolate just before a period and what is our pelvic floor and why it's important. And I started the chat by asking her why she decided on a career in medicine. When I was 14, I lost my father to a stroke, which was, you know, very early on in life. And at that time was like, I guess I was thinking about what I wanted to do in college. And um, I was planning on doing business and accountancy. Well, that's what my parents, I think, wanted me to go into. Mm. Um, But I think going through the experience of, of losing dad and being in the hospital and things, I was the first time I considered going into a career in medicine. Um, but I 
kind of made the decision maybe when I was 16 or 17, very late into kind of prepping for my leaving cert. And I didn't get the grades, unfortunately, to do it in Dublin. But I ended up doing a medical sciences bachelor's degree in Wales. So I moved to Wales when I was 18 um, into the valleys, which was a big culture shock, but yeah. it, I loved it. And then from there, I went into graduate entry medicine after that degree. So it was about seven years total um, and it was quite you know, intense, but it was the best decision. And I knew kind of once I qualified, it was what I was meant to do with my life. And then when did you decide to set up the Food Medic blog? That was about 10 years ago, was it? Yeah, it was 10 years ago, um, 10th anniversary this year. So I was in medical school at the time, and it was 2012. And I, I guess my interest in nutrition and medicine and the interaction between food and our health also stemmed from losing dad to a stroke which is a condition that you know it's there's multiple risk factors but one of the major ones is nutrition and um, physical activity and stress and things like that and I remember the summer before dad died that he was told that he has high blood pressure and borderline diabetes and needed to kind of get himself into check in terms of exercising and diet and stuff and I remember him taking that very seriously but unfortunately it was all a little bit too late Mm. and I think I was really interested in learning more about that in medical school but we were talking about it but more like mentioning it and paying lip service but not really you know fully understanding or being given advice on how we would I guess Um, deal with a patient who might be in the same scenario Mm. and so I went off on my own and started the food medic blog all that time ago and it basically just grew alongside me um, during medical school and at the time the health and wellness industry I guess was up and coming but a lot of the people in it were just um, kind of unqualified bloggers I guess and so there was a big interest in what I was saying because I was trying to keep it as grounded in in the science as I could um, and just make it really accessible for people so I actually got my first book deal then when I was still in medical school I was in my doing my final exams so I was writing the book studying for my exams and um, yeah then I moved to London and started working as a doctor and it's just continued ever since so it's it's a big passion of mine. When you say that, look, you know, I think anyone listening who has lost a parent at at any age, but particularly at 14, I mean, that's that's an age in a young person's life when you're transitioning from a child to becoming an adult. You know, you're you're going through all of these huge physical, mental and emotional changes. And then you're dealing with the loss of your dad. I would imagine that your journey into into medicine and what like your passion for it, your why was so strong. Was it an emotional time for you? What did it help actually going into learning more about our bodies and how they work? Did it, did it help you kind of cope with the grief of your dad? Um, yeah, I think so. I feel like I just became extremely fascinated with the human body and how it worked. I think it was something that I never thought that I could do. And I don't know, I know that, you know, when you're in, when you are a teenager, there's 
certain students who will be almost headhunted to become doctors or dentists and things like that. And that was, although I was very diligent, wasn't really me. And so I had to be very brave and kind of believe in myself that I could do it. Mm. So I I love telling my story because I know there's loads of students who are doing their leave insert or A levels and they think that oh they could never do medicine and I think it really just putting your mind to it and you know hard working and stuff but also I guess I had a reason why I wanted to do it and yeah. it almost felt like a vocation for me so I really wanted to kind of do it for my dad as well. Mm, mm, I getcha. So the female factor making women's health count and what it means for you is your third book and I know this book is doing really really well for you um, obviously as it says in the tin it's all about women and our bodies and how they work so you cover a multitude of stuff and I know you're a huge advocate for movement is medicine and there is a whole section in the book on movement so you've kind of broken it down into nutrition movement mood sleep and then a whole load of gorgeous recipes as well something you're really known for on your Instagram page um, mm. you're a huge fan of the Mediterranean diet as well I believe and we've already spoken to a professor here on the podcast Professor Roseanne Kenny who wrote a book about ageing and she like you is a huge from her studies and years and years of research that the Mediterranean diet is where it's at in terms of health and well-being yeah absolutely I mean I think because it's not necessarily like a dietary protocol or plan it's very much like flexible to various different um kind of dietary preferences i guess because it's just you could cater it to many different diets it's not the only um diet that's well researched with um health benefits but because it's so anti-inflammatory and full of antioxidants with colorful fruits and vegetables and oily fish etc um it really does you know from heart health to brain health to gut health it comes up trumps when when we're talking about kind of overall health okay so you also obviously discuss one of the the most important uh, aspects of being a woman when we hit puberty is when we get our periods we have our menstrual cycle and it stays with us until we hit menopause it's a huge aspect of our lives and it impacts so many different areas so one of the questions that you address in the book and i really do want to know the answer is why we crave chocolate particularly just before our period arrives yeah, I actually really enjoyed writing this section because I feel like for me, it gave me like a lot of understanding of my own body, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, so basically we have um, in kind of in a typical 28 day textbook menstrual cycle, although no woman is a textbook. So if anyone listening thinks my cycle is not 28 days there's nothing wrong with you and mm. um, so we've got two phases we've got a follicular phase which is typically the first 14 days and then ovulation and then the luteal phase which is the second phase up until day 28 before the next period and typically in the luteal phase so this is when progesterone and estrogen is high um, progesterone is actually a bit higher there's a higher you have a higher resting metabolic rate so your metabolism is a little bit higher which means you burn more calories at rest in the second half of your cycle um, it's very difficult to figure out how many calories exactly because everyone's individual but some studies have said you know up to 300 calories more so if you're burning that much energy, naturally the body's going to be a bit more hungry because mm. you need more energy on board. And so what we see during this time is 
a natural increase in food intake. So people tend to eat a bit more and women tend to report more cravings for foods, particularly those that are really energy dense. So high in carbs, high in fat. Um, and then the kind of chocolate story is that interestingly, um, when it comes to food cravings in general, women have appear to have, crave chocolate more than men, mm. um, which is which is funny because I feel like it's a bit more of an old wives tale, but actually it seems to be backed by the science as well. Um, so in that second phase, I think, the the narrative is often you know try to um reject the cravings and think of something else and have a glass of water and go for a walk and distract yourself when actually because we're burning more energy i think we should be leaning into those cravings and listening to the signals from our body but instead of you know depending on sugar and caffeine to carry us through it might be wise to just get in more high kind of high fiber complex carbohydrates like whole grains and things like that that will give us energy but also sustain us um throughout that period so i feel like that was a a really interesting piece of research and you are a fan of chocolate yourself i know this (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) i'm one of those people who probably has a daily because yeah. I think it's something that can absolutely fit into a healthy balanced diet yeah wonderful um <clears throat> and like as I said the, the there's so much in the book um it's really a, a guide from what age would you say that this could be something that could be gifted to a young woman would you say this is something you could give them as they're kind of entering puberty yeah, I think because I wanted to to write it for a woman across her entire lifespan. So really from puberty up until after the menopause. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the health advice, although there's limited for women, tends to be just women of like reproductive years or around pregnancy or postnatal. And, you know, we have we do much other much many more things in our lives and um yeah i think if i was a teenager and i was given this and i understood a bit more about my cycle um it would help me understand why my body fluctuates and things Mm. like that and why i might crave certain things or my why my mood might be a little bit different at certain times of the month so i hope it, it acts as a bit of reassurance for women you do a brilliant section as well on the pelvic floor, something that is important for every woman, regardless whether we have babies or not. But obviously for those those of us who have children, we, we know all about the, the pressure that has been put yeah. on the pelvic floor and how important it is. And we're always told and, you know, in the classes, you know, pre, pre-birth, you know, to do your, your pelvic floor exercises and to make sure to do them afterwards. And some women are better than others and some of us forget yeah. to keep doing them. Um, and I've had two babies and I've certainly known the difference uh, on baby number two that it's not as strong as it was after after I had my first baby. Um, it's really important the way you break it down and explain what it is because I think a lot of us, we hear we hear this all the time. The pe- we're kind of going, what is the pelvic floor? Where is it? What does it do? Mm. So if you wouldn't mind just discussing that a little bit, that would be brilliant. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that, like, we hear about it, but we don't really know where it is or what it does. And I think it's only a conversation around after you've given birth, but it's really important for everyone, not Mm. just women, to be practicing pelvic floor exercises and understanding where they are. That's very interesting. You say for everyone. So for men as well. Yes, for men as well. I didn't know that. Why? 
Yeah. Because, well, I mean, we all have pelvic floors, so it's really sure. important to kind of keep it strengthened because one of the signs of a weak pelvic floor is urinary and bowel incontinence. And also it can affect um, kind of sexual um, satisfaction as well. So it's in, right. important for both men and women, especially as we get older, we're going to like those muscles are going to become weak. And if you don't work a muscle, it doesn't maintain like its strength. And so yeah. that's why we should really be doing it. But I think, like you said, not many people know what it is or where it is. And basically it's just kind of, if you picture the bony pelvis, it's just a sling of muscles, um, around, um, your like, um, intra-abdominal muscles so things like your bladder and your womb and your rectum and it keeps all those things in place and helps um everything open and close as it should do but of course if it becomes weak things may open up when they shouldn't so if you're like jumping on a trampoline and you feel like you're you're leaking urine that's typically a sign that you don't have a very strong pelvic floor um but that's not the only sign so other things like i said having certain certain urgency to go to the toilet or um if you find that you have like a heaviness or a bulge coming down um out of your vagina or you find you're having painful sex or um, even just any pelvic pain, there's lots of signs that there's something not going on there. And what do you, um, re- what do you recommend in that situation? Because that sounds like that's, there's probably, it's like a scale and, you know, depending on where we are on the scale, whether we have a slightly vulnerable pelvic floor or one that's really under pressure and that is, 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 is weakened a lot. I mean, would you say that there is a kind of a, a go-to as to what you can do? I would imagine the first thing is do your exercises. Then if that doesn't work, then do you get help? Do you go to a physio? Yeah, I would go to your GP um, and either if you can go to a pelvic health physio because they're particularly trained in this uh, field. Um, what you could do in the meantime if you're waiting for a referral is to to kind of do your pelvic floor exercises and if you have symptoms you should be doing that up to two to three times a day um because all of us regardless if we have symptoms or not should be doing it every day i don't know about in ireland but in the uk we have and um, the nhs has an app called squeezy and it like yeah. helps you um kind of gives you prompts on how to do whatever you i remember i used that i used that when i was it. yeah when i was pregnant with my my son my first my first baby i i used it and i found it handy and then i got into yeah. the habit of every time i was driving if i hit the traffic lights it would send a signal to me to do my exercises just while i was there oh, that's really great yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and i just got into the habit yeah it's just getting into the habit because it's one of those things like brushing your teeth like try to try to stack it with something that you do every day, like brushing your teeth or kind of making a cup of tea in the morning. And if you kind of have times of the day that you always do it, then you're more, you're more likely to remember it. For somebody listening who's going, well, but what are the exercises? I mean, they're talking about it, but I don't know what it is. And you just said it there, the app is called Squeezy, which kind of explains exactly what it is. It's about, actually, you're better at describing it than I would be. Yeah, so the, the best way to kind of find where your pelvic floor is, when you're going for a wee and then you stop the flow of wee, that is essentially your pelvic floor doing the work. Now, that's not how you exercise your pelvic floor. You yeah. shouldn't use that. Um, but how you can train your pelvic floor. You can do it whether you can do it anyway, lying, sitting, standing, it doesn't matter. And what you want to do is squeeze like you're trying to stop yourself from passing wind. 
And as you do this, you should feel um, your perineum, which is like the bit between your back passage and your vagina kind of contract and lift upwards and that you're doing it correctly if you can feel that so you you should try to hold that for a few seconds up to 10 seconds and then let go and relax and the important thing is when you're holding still breathe normally like if you were holding a plank you would still breathe normally try not to hold your breath and then repeat this up to 10 times so After you do those long holes, we get people to do 10 short squeezes and that just helps to work the fast twitch muscles. So you've got slow twitch and fast twitch. So that's basically what you do in a nutshell. Do 10 long squeezes, 10 short squeezes and try to do that every day. And if it's really hard at the beginning, like don't be disheartened because as you said, it is a muscle and the more you do it, the better it'll get, the stronger it'll get, the easier it'll get. So if it is challenging in the beginning, because I can imagine depending on where people are at, they might do it and go, God, I can't hold on to it for 10 seconds. What's wrong with me? You know, there's nothing wrong. You'll just keep doing it and it'll, it'll get easier. I mean, I say that now, as I said, but I mean, I <laughs> need to be practicing what I'm talking about myself a little more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot of people are embarrassed, you know, to talk about it's particularly when it comes to um, intimate parts of the body, like they're worried, oh, I can't say that to my GP or I know him or her for yeah. too long. You know, there is there is a lot of that, isn't there, that people can feel a little bit just uncomfortable and a little overly vulnerable. I think people still think, oh, I need to shave my legs when I go for a smear test or, um, you know, they will feel like they'll put off going to the doctor if it's something to do with kind of anything down there healthcare or anything to do with sex or whatever it might be but honestly that's kind of you know every doctor has seen it and we've seen worse and we've heard worse and we're all humans at the same you know at the same time so it's completely normal and if you do feel like I don't feel absolutely comfortable or maybe you want to speak to a female doctor or um, maybe you want to bring someone with you that's absolutely fine as well yeah 
Okay. Um, in the book, you discuss heart disease because it's been known for a kind of many years as a kind of a inherently male disease. But is that the case? No, it's not. Um, this is kind of this was actually probably the reason I got into writing the book, um, because there was a lot of science emerging in the last kind of couple of years about heart disease in women and the fact that women were more likely to die um, after having a heart attack than a man. And wow. I thought, um, well, first of all, I wanted to understand why because. I, you know, have been through medical school and there was no mention of this. Um, and basically, um, I'm sure if anyone can think of an advertisement on the TV when it comes to a heart attack, it will be an, an older man clutching his chest, falling to the floor. Mm. And so I think we just have this assumption that heart disease is a man's disease when it's absolutely not so it's the biggest killer of women worldwide as well okay. um as well as it is men and actually women are twice as likely to die from heart disease than breast cancer in the uk wow. and um, that is surprising i i like this is feels like this is new news so yeah fair play that you're actually educating us on this because this 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 seems this seems like a revelation yeah, I mean, for me, it was really interesting learning about it. And actually, I, I was quite shocked by some of the statistics. And I mean, the biggest question is, well, why why does this happen? Why are women more likely to die? Because it's not because they're coming into hospital and doctors are ignoring them. But it seems that there's a couple of reasons why. Um, so from arrival time to hospital, um, if you kind of picture a woman at home, she first experiences symptoms. Um, a woman is more likely to push off coming to hospital on time because she there, there's because she might think that it's something else. So she might think it's like a panic attack or having palpitations. Um, she's more likely to wait at home until symptoms get worse, or she might try to self-medicate. And the other reason for coming to hospital late is there's often conflicting family responsibilities. Mm. So she might have to kind of pick up the kids from school and things like that. So there's, you know, from the first moment, there's a delay. And in in hospital, in medicine, we always say time is muscle. And mm. when you're having a heart attack, the most important thing is you need to get a hospital ASAP. So if anyone's suspecting that they're having chest pain that could be a heart attack, always call for an ambulance. And so when they do get to hospital then, there's some suggestion that they may present with different symptoms than men. So they may present with atypical symptoms. And while the research does show that women still present with chest pain um, more often than not, they may also come in with things like pain between the shoulder blades, nausea and vomiting, or shortness of breath. And so they may not think that that's actually a heart attack that they're experiencing. And so how they tell the doctor what they're, they're feeling might be a little bit different. Um, even when it comes to the diagnosis, a woman is 1.5 times more likely to get the wrong diagnosis for a heart attack. Okay. And again, like I said, time is muscle. And so we're already causing more and more delays to this woman getting the treatment she needs. So kind of from onset to, to getting the treatment, there's lots of different pieces of the puzzle that seem to be stacked against women. And so 
it's really important that we're raising awareness, um, not just for women to be more aware of the fact that they can have a heart attack and what the symptoms are like, but also for us as doctors to change our, I guess, our understanding and, and interpretation of who a typical patient having a heart attack looks like. Mm. It can be a younger woman. And um, I think we need to do more research into how we can improve the outcomes for women because it's just not acceptable that women are are twice as likely to die from a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's kind of scary, to be honest, listening to you. Um, but also it's, it's important to be uh, informed and know and know the signs and that there can be so many different signs but also not to be paranoid that if you, you know, you do get a pain that you're not automatically going to think I am having a heart attack. But there is a difference, obviously, between having a heart attack and being in cardiac arrest. And I suppose the message is as well, you know, people can survive a heart attack. Um, it doesn't always lead to a, a devastating uh, result. So, you know, timing, getting in, getting the help um, can mean people can live long, healthy lives afterwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for the for the book, uh, what was your favorite part of all? Because I know you were saying that that was a huge driver as to why you wrote the book, that you really wanted to discuss heart disease in women and, um, I mean, educate us. But what was the, the, the most enjoyable aspect of writing the book for you? I think the chapter on mood, um, maybe not like enjoyable, but the most interesting in that, like, I really wanted to understand kind of why women are more likely to suffer from anxiety and depression and as someone who has experienced both it was something that felt very close to me and I also have treated many women who have anxiety and so really trying to understand why men and women experience mental health so differently why women respond to stress so differently was really interesting mm. and I found it not only interesting, but also kind of infuriating because I think, yes, women do experience anxiety and that's a very real thing for many women. But the other thing is we're more likely to give a woman a psychiatric diagnosis for a physical complaint than we are to give a man. Okay. So what I mean by that is if a woman comes in with physical symptoms, we're more likely to kind of prescribe her anti-anxiety or anti meds or antidepressants so it's kind of there's you know there's wrapped up in two things there mm. um it's not only that we're experiencing those those conditions but we may be over diagnosing them as well and i think that that really feeds back to the age-old um kind of classical conditions that women used to be diagnosed with like hysteria which is an absolutely fake diagnosis mm. and um this derives from the fact that um the word hysteria derives from the word uterus which is the womb and basically old age thinking was that women had these mental health problems which derived from our womb and Wow. any kind of condition that a woman experienced whether she fainted or she had a seizure or she was either had increased or decreased sexual desire like all of these very random symptoms that don't fit together they would say that's hysteria and it was in the actual manual of kind of that we used to diagnose mental health disorders and was only removed in the 1980s 
which is absolutely bonkers. That is bonkers. Because it was, yeah. you know, it was just, it was, it's basically down to how we view women yeah. and it's nothing to do with biology. It's just gender and stereotypes. And I think, I feel like we're still unraveling a lot of that still. Well, that's why the work you're doing and the book you've written is really important. It has been lovely to chat to you. Unfortunately, I'm going to wrap it up now simply because we're having a little bit of break up on the line. But the book is fabulous. It's called The Female Factor and it's available online and in all good bookshops. Dr. Hazel Wallace, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this chat. And next week, I'll be speaking to the mesmerizing brother Richard Hendrick. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 